Welcome to Commercializing Living Therapies with CCRM. In this podcast, we'll be engaging with cell and gene therapy experts and influencers and sharing insider insights, information, and trends. CCRM is a leader in developing and commercializing regenerative medicine-based technologies and cell and gene therapies. I'm your host, Krista Lamb, and on today's episode, we'll be discussing the business of regenerative medicine and investment with two experts in this area. Our guests today are Jeff Mackay, who is president and CEO of AvroBio, and Cynthia Lavoie, who is president and chief investment officer at CCRM Enterprises. Welcome to the show. First, I really wanted to start by talking to both of you a little bit about what it is that inspired you to work in the regenerative medicine field. And so, Cynthia, if you wanted to start, that would be fantastic. So, Krista, I mean, when I've been in the investment field for about 19 years now, I've always been excited by uh, precision medicine um, and and really what for me what regenerative medicine was when I first got to learn more about it was really the ultimate precision medicine where you could take a cell or a gene therapy and specifically address a patient um, a, a disorder a disease and I got really excited about it in in 2017 or so probably around that time when there were uh, approvals for CAR T's, for example, um, cell therapies uh, in, in Kimraya and Yaskarta. And then also this really great data that came out at ASCO that year for um, uh, a CAR T targeting uh, BCMA. You know, like 94% uh, of patients responding um, and going into clinical remission. So that's what I think I wanted to go more specifically into regen medicine. I mean, as an investor, I'm always looking for disruptive technologies, but I'm also really concerned, you know, just personally about patient benefit. And, and that's when I think I really focus, started to focus more on regenerative medicine. Wonderful. And Jeff? I go even further back than Cynthia, is that one, one of my first jobs was working at Sandoz, which became Novartis in, in Dorval in, in, in Quebec. And um, I, I was working in solid organ transplantation, immunosuppression, uh, in the 1990s. And, and at that time, I was surrounded by a bunch of uh, people, older, sort of more curmudgeonly people that had taken five-year survival of solid organ transplant from about 5% up to 90% in the 1980s or, or even earlier. And uh, they were in the twilight of their career and really had accomplished something amazing. And what we were focused on is how to do it with better side effects, with less hypertension or less gingival hyperplasia or less post-transplant diabetes. You know, so important important work, but not not the transformative work that that these folks that had preceded me had done. And as part of Novartis, I was exposed to cell and gene therapy uh, because at the time we had a very visionary CEO, Dan Vasella, who who bet too early, of course, from a from a business perspective. But I, I got exposed to it and, and I felt that, you know, that if I wanted to be a curmudgeonly old person pointing to the fact that I've actually accomplished something important, then cell and gene therapy could be that. It was in its very nascent stages. It hadn't really demonstrated much, but it seemed to be the disruptive technology. And after getting exposed to it, I just didn't want to go back to small molecule or, or protein. So I, I oriented my career, eventually leaving Novartis to to pursue multiple endeavors in cell and gene therapy. So could you tell the listeners a little bit about the organizations that you're working with? Jeff, did you want to start with that? Sure, happy to. 
So my, my day job is president and CEO of AvroBio, which is an ex vivo lentiviral gene therapy company. And we target a type of rare disease called lysosomal disorders. So the, the world tends to know them because they were the foundation of companies like Shire and Genzyme, which came up with enzyme replacement therapy 20, 25 years ago. And the, the whole premise of applying gene therapy to these diseases is to deliver a better pharmacokinetic delivery of enzyme or an active protein. So rather than just the stop-start kinetics of, of biweekly ERT, to bathe cells, tissues, organs, and in, in enzymes. So the, the way we formed the company is we rolled up some innovative um, academic research from various uh, academics around the world, starting with the Fabry asset from UHN in Toronto. Um, and now we're in year six, where we are running four separate clinical trials across three indications, and we've dosed about 20 plus patients. Amazing. And Cynthia, CCRM Enterprises is really new. So can you tell us a little bit about what that does? Well, CCRM is actually about 10 years old. And CCRM, um, as, as you may know, Krista, is an organization that is a commercialization catalyst. Um, advancing technologies and, and company creation um, with, with a specialized infrastructure, uh, including a GMP facility for biomanufacturing. What CCRM Enterprises is, is the for-profit investment arm of CCRM. And yes, you're correct that it is new. Um, we've, uh, we incorporated Enterprises about a year and a half ago. Um, and then uh, what Enterprises does is really manage the portfolio currently of 13 companies. Uh, we have one company that we exited, uh, which is Avrobio. Um, and we were very pleased uh, to have worked with Jeff in the past. Um, and we make investments in companies in one of three ways, either through direct investments, um, through founding companies, um, where we may um, uh, start a company with an institution or with a, a group of academics, or we may um, also do service for equity where we might get shares in a company through working with the company on an early stage uh, manufacturing feasibility project, for example. And so that's what we do. We do about two to three investments per year. Um, and uh, we really have the benefit of the expertise of the large team at CCRM. We get to pull from that expertise, regulatory manufacturing feasibility expertise, and also you know, have the benefit of being in an environment where there's a specialized infrastructure um, that benefits the portfolio companies. Yeah, and I'm going to continue on sort of and ask you the next question, Cynthia, which is right now investment in cell and gene therapies is at an all-time high. And why do you think we're seeing so much interest? And I think because of what you've just spoken about, that's a really good segue into that. Well, I think it's, it is hot, and, and it is hot because if you look at um, evaluations of companies in the regenerative medicine space, it, we, we did an analysis and found that it's about three times uh, the value of, you know, generally of biotech companies, and that's really exciting. It shows you the excitement and, and, and how um, there are um, some very large financings. Now, with respect to why now and why it's a hot field, I think it's a tipping point at this stage. Uh, there's been a culmination of, of research in immunology 
and in gene editing and in gene modification of cells over the years that, that, um, that several individuals, either in the academic group or in business, have done. And it's culminated today where we have the technology and knowledge to be able to bring these to the clinic and to address you know, certain factors that, that might be uh, problematic in that development. So it's like everything's come together to, to create that tipping point where the field is really at its tipping point, at its apex in terms of excitement and, and ability to develop new therapies. Yeah, I, I definitely think we're seeing that. And Jeff, what about you? Why do you think that things are so hot right now? Well, I think because it's working is is the short answer. I think that we're, we're at a really interesting point in time where enough critical mass of clinical data showing that in cell therapy and gene therapy and ex vivo and in vivo, m- multiple approaches, including gene editing now, are really showing the kind of efficacy and even durability that, that we would hope to see. So I think that that's driving things forward and, and just the amount of resources of money, investment, and, and of talent, you know, that for those of us that have been in the field for a while, there are really smart, sharp people entering this field. Um, you know, uh, it wasn't very long ago that a hugely successful Series A would be single digit in the millions and now it might be 100 million. So just the amount of energy units being applied is formidable. I think that there's also a maturing of, of the field. And I think some of the Pollyannish views about how easy, how quick, how short this would be, I think are, are getting digested by the investment community and by strategics that, that are involved. Because, I mean, go, going back to the analogy that I, I mentioned on the front end, where in the 1980s, solid organ transplant went from 5 to 95%, but then the decade following it, there was refinement. And I think that right now in the field of gene therapy, people are realizing, yes, it works, but yeah, yes, there's needs for refinement and, and it's not the Wild West as much anymore, where I think just rolling up an asset, getting it into the clinic and thinking you're going to get a quick approval. I think there is a maturation, more sophisticated development, high standards by regulators. But as long as the gene therapies and the cell therapies continue to work, it's just going to power through. And I think that right now, if you go in clinicaltrials.gov, there are, you know, approaching a thousand trials. And if you just apply natural, normal attrition rates, meaning the same attrition rates for proteins or small molecules, it means that medicine is changing, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, the health system is going to have to accommodate because there are going to be dozens and then hundreds of single item gene therapy, cell therapies that are really just going to force change on the system. So I just think there's there's just too much of a critical mass for it to to be paused by, you know, any, you know, one or two setbacks here and there. As you were saying, Jeff, it's really interesting because it's very a high risk, high reward when it comes to this type of investing. So how do you think investors are factoring that in? I think that in investors look at, you know, for, for the risk and commiserate time, what, what is the payback? And I think that there have been a number of very high profile strategic exits, you know, pharma companies acquiring early stage companies, companies that either not aren't, aren't even in the clinic or in the clinic with only a little bit of de-risking data. So that's from the investor eyes. That's very, very attractive. But although I generously said apply normal attrition rates, I think the attrition rates 
are actually better, meaning the success rates are better in cell and gene therapy than they have been for conventional medicines. Um, and so the, the equation is a little bit different. A lot of, you know, that the, the time to treat patients is slow, the cost per patient is high, but you need fewer patients. And right now, I think that there's a lot of very attractive exits for the early stage investors. And Cynthia, what are you thinking in this area in terms of risk reward for investors? Yeah, I think in this area, there there are certain risks at the early stage that maybe are a little bit different than what we might call the traditional medicines, you know, the, the, the small molecules of, of several years ago, where really what you were most concerned about was the pharmacology. And here, I think we're really talking about having concern over the manufacturing. Once you can get over that a challenge, um, then you've got a platform. And with that platform, you, you've really got something that has a potentially lower risk profile to an investor. Rather than doing making investment, for example, in a single asset, small, thera- small molecule therapeutic, where there's a binary um, step at one point in the clinic where uh, that target may not be a good target or it may not be druggable or the drug may not be successful or may show toxicity. Once you actually pass that initial stage in cell and gene of, of creating the therapy, of producing the platform, then you can address several indications. Potentially, you can address different diseases or disorders. So with respect to what we're seeing is, a pla- is platform technologies and where, to Jeff's point, the valuations and the, and the financings are you know, quite astounding, seeing 100 million uh, Series A investments into companies in gene therapy or in gene-modified cell therapies. So I think the investors have taken a different approach. And to Jeff's point as well, I mean, there have been some very large strategic uh, takeouts, which I, you know, from an investor's point of view is what you want to see, both the opportunity to potentially take your company public or the opportunity to sell the company uh, to a strategic partner. And I think those are really interesting points. And it leads me sort of to my next question, which is looking at that research and new innovation valley of death that we always hear about in this sector. And I'd love, Jeff, if you could tell us a little bit about what that is and how the organizations are really mitigating that. Well, I think that um, going back in time, I mean, it was it was an insurmountable valley for for the majority of the field and and it really mutated how the field evolved because of course when when gene therapy particularly but cell therapy as well had some stumbles in the 1990s the the entire sector was was toxic you know where strategics disappeared investors were were just not available and so to to get from concept even to fund preclinical let alone first in human experience was was something that that people were hodgepodging together based on on grants you know and and so it was living from grant to grant and so the the this concept of how how do you fund to get to the point where you've generated data that's validated enough to to merit real investment was something that just the entire field hit hit the wall because the answer was there was no real practical way to do that um and so but but for grants it it was just holding back the whole field. I think o- over time that that valley has gotten to be something that the field is navigating quite effectively right now. And if you look at even just this year, there's a preferential 
investment hypothesis around preclinical companies and even preclinical companies are going public because if if you can generate just some early compelling data i think that it it has been enough and so it's almost if it's a pendulum it's it's swung in favor of narrowing that that valley so at this point in time i think a solid science a, a big idea with you know well founded team around it is is something that is entirely attractive to seek and and obtain investment and so i think that that valley is is not as formidable as it once was excellent and i know cynthia ccrm is doing a lot to minimize risk can you tell us a little bit about that work yeah and so what we like to talk about at ccrm enterprises is is creating a financing continuum to basically bridge that valley that you're speaking about and we have several activities. We do company ideation and company creation with our launch incubation team at CCRM, where we work with academic groups or we specifically think about new technologies that we could develop. So that's in the very early stages. And so we have internal resources to provide there. Then enterprises per se is in that spot, I would say, where we can play that role of next step in financing, where we can make investments into companies and help them get to a point at which, um, you know, to Jeff's point, not to the clinic, but rather get to that point between discovery and, you know, proof of mechanism, proof of concept, where um, investors will start to take notice. And then we are also uh, creating other investment vehicles, including um, a fund to invest at the seed stage, where we can help lead or co-lead these investments to pull these through to raise that you know, properly syndicated Series A that you need for a therapeutic to be successful. I think in the old days, um, we'd seen Series A that could be 10 million, and then you'd have Series B and Series C and Series D. Now we're really looking to develop these concepts so that we can attract those types of Series A rounds that we're seeing currently in that sort of 40 to 60 million to get these companies to, you know, valuable inflection points. Yeah, maybe a a simple way that I look at it is um, I'm an entrepreneur in residence at Atlas Ventures in in Cambridge. And, you know, they just have an ocean of potential opportunities. And there's just a simple litmus test that they that they apply is, is is it really a big idea because they're they're there and we're we're not in the business of me too's it's got to be you know something that that really could change healthcare delivery is the science absolutely world leading is the team a team that you really want to bet on to be able to execute is there intellectual property and is there a, a foreseeable exit strategy and I think that that valley, you know, that some of those aspects can be buttressed up, you know, because I think if if you can check those boxes, you will be able to get funding in this field. But sometimes there's just, you know, there, there's a gap between how far an academic can take it and really imagining that very highly successful interaction with an atlas or with a surrogate of, of you know, that that phenotype of early stage investors. Yes. And that brings me to the next question. So Cynthia, what are some of the go and no-go issues in assessing cell and gene therapy opportunities? Just reflecting on some of the things that you have both been talking about today. I think with, and I'll refer to it again, for us, um, several of our companies have a, a great concept and something that has been proven out in in vivo animal studies in mice that, that looks very promising. 
But oftentimes, scaling that up is what the big is, is the big question. And um, we're really fortunate to work with the team at CCRM because we can work with program, work with teams, companies, or academics that have gotten to that point, but really need to prove that next step, which is, can you make the billions of cells that you need uh, to to make the therapy? So I think that that's one of the go-no-goes we certainly have. All of the points that Jeff mentioned are absolutely, I mean, who are the folks involved? What is the IP situation? And is this, frankly, very differentiated compared to what's out there? And that's really the most challenging. There's so much going on right now that trying to find that one opportunity that seems really um, dogma shifting or at least differentiated uh, is really what we're looking for. And Jeff, do you have any thoughts on that as well? I think if, if I look back on my experience, I can just quickly cover a few. I mean, Avro was, uh, I think, a strong team, but we didn't check any of those other boxes. And, and I think that CCRM really was our launching pad because through CCRM, we were able to assess technology and we were able to really have a home to hang our hat and some resources as, as we got the company going to the point that it, it could then transfer to sort of more of the, the conventional VC model. So I think, you know, for Avro, that CCRM filled that gap. If I think of some of the other companies that I'm on the board of or have founded, Satellos, which is now a public company traded on TSX, had a different model is again, grants, academic work, followed by some seed financing, primarily from non-institutional investors, high net worth in investors, and then a very early uh, mechanism to get onto the, the public markets as a way to source capital and actually source in, inexpensive capital. eGenesis, which I was the founding CEO, was really just a, an awful lot of shoe leather, just going up and down stairs to investors until finally we secured some top investors like Arch Ventures and, and others. But that was a tough slog because it was, uh, I, I think in terms of those boxes, um, Xenotransplant, applying CRISPR Cas9 to Xenotransplant was, was not a very mainstream idea. So it just took a lot of time. And in Talaris, uh, which I'm on the board of, was, I think, more recent when I think the investment climate was a little bit easier and they were just able to secure companies like Blackstone from, from day one. And so they were able to really, you know, they, they were the story of strong capitalization up front and then build a company to catch up with the resources. So I, I don't think I've lived the same experience twice. Um, I think, it, you know, the, the, the environment is changing and each company has a, a unique set of, of challenges, requirements. Yeah, it's really interesting to hear you guys talk about the different organizations that you've worked with because there has been such a wide variety of experiences that you've had in this field. And that sort of brings me to my last question, which is what is making you optimistic right now about investing in cell and gene therapies? And Cynthia, I'll let you go first. <laughs> Everything. Um, I mean, I don't I don't think I have a day and there's barely a day that goes by that I don't see a great deal being done or a new technology being developed. I'm really optimistic, uh, and I'll come back to what I said originally. I mean, we really are at that tipping point. There's a culmination of, of, of capabilities, technologies, and knowledge, and also, you know, clinical proof of concept that's coming together here um, at a, for an, to, to make it an exciting um, opportunity in the field. I'm, I'm bullish on this sector, and, um, and I'm very excited about where we're going next. And Jeff, what about you? 
I think that we, we've only seen the tip of the iceberg, you know, is, is I think that we've started with, you know, very easy to understand biology, monogenic, rare diseases. And we've shown that multiple approaches of gene therapy, of cell therapy work. We're seeing incredibly exciting, you know, data in liquid tumors in the oncology setting. But I think that, you know, polygenic gene therapy is, is going to become a reality multiplexing much more complicated approaches to gene editing, but also just sorting out some of the little bumps in the road. You know, in my world of ex vivo gene therapy, just better tolerated, safer approaches to conditioning, safer and better approaches to vectorology in general across the board, and just expanding beyond rare disease into large mainstream indications. It's already happening in areas like cardiovascular but I think the proof of concept is is just really, really going to mushroom. And I think also, you know, one of the analogies that we have to think of is is the electric car an analogy, where it's not it's not enough just to create a super cool Tesla. You know, is that you need battery factories, you need um, intelligence in in the IT systems, you actually need single component frames. But more importantly than anything, is you need a global charging infrastructure. So I think all, all there, all of that is being built. The the system is accommodating cell and gene therapy. So the the changes in how hospitals operate and how reimbursement is operating and how regulatory bodies are are adopting to the technology, it is is all happening. So it, it's you know it's just incredibly exciting. Yeah, and this has been such an informative conversation. So I really appreciate both of you taking the time to talk to me about this today. Thank you, Krista. Thank you, Krista. I'm Krista Lam, and you've been listening to Commercializing Living Therapies with CCRM. If you liked today's show, please be sure to share it with others. You can find more episodes at ccrm.ca backslash podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you have a question or comment about the show, email us at podcast at ccrm.ca or reach out to us on social media at ccrm underscore ca. Our hashtag for social media sharing is CCRM podcast. Thanks for listening.